If you would turn in your worship folder or in the pew Bible in front of you to John chapter 1. Um, I decided to preach on the topic of Christmas today. I know that must come as a great surprise to all of you. For the past four weeks uh, on our Sundays, we've been hearing and singing our way through the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke with the songs that he records there. Uh, And we've been marveling at what Jesus does to bring salvation in a comprehensive way to the world. But today I want to turn to the Gospel of John and focus on who Jesus is. What kind of person can accomplish the things that we were celebrating uh, in Luke? Uh, and let's, let's begin with prayer as we turn to the Lord's Word. Please pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes today to behold your glory in the face of Jesus in a fresh way. Lord, would you, would you give us new wonder, new awe, new thankfulness at all that you've given us in him? And would you do your transforming work in us to help us reflect your glory in the world? So may the meditations of Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. From John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We'll skip down to verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There is a special kind of glory that results when opposites are combined in the same person or thing. Let me give you some examples. Consider the best basketball player you can think of. Uh, now, I'm not asking if at this moment you're picturing Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Diana Taurasi if you're a WNBA fan, or maybe you just don't care. Um, but if you think about it, a really good basketball player must have all kinds of opposite gifts. He or she must have strength, strength to take contact and still score, um, strength to leap and rebound, strength to, to not be moved and not give way. But it also takes agility, agility to accelerate at a moment's notice, agility to sidestep defenders, and it takes gentleness, gentleness to lay the ball softly off the backboard with a flick of the wrist or a finger roll over the front of the rim uh, with great gentleness, all while running at full speed. 
right? The glory of a good basketball player is strength, agility, and gentleness combined. Or think of something totally different. Think of landscaping. In order to produce a nicely landscaped yard or garden, it takes power, power to dig up and move piles of dirt, power to move around piles of gravel and mulch. But it also requires carefulness, carefulness to weed delicate growing plants, carefulness to pull up the weeds and not the good ones while you're at it. The glory of landscaping comes from power and carefulness combined. Or think of something else, think of poetry. Writing a good poem requires a clear vision of truth, for the best poetry gives us deeper insight into what's truly real. But it also takes the grace of beauty, for a good poem communicates truth with a very precise choice of words and images and form that's striking, that makes us pay attention, that makes us ponder the depths of meaning below the surface of the page. The glory of poetry comes from truth and the grace of beauty combined. And these examples from everyday life, I think, are showing us hints and echoes of a pattern that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Because in Jesus, we find the ultimate opposites combined in one person. The unique glory of Jesus is the glory of the combination of God and man, creator and creature, into one glorious person unlike any other person anywhere ever. And since we are made in God's image, we were made to reflect that unique glory of Jesus as he pours his life into ours and transforms our lives, broken and distorted by sin, into his image. I wanna look more closely today at both of those truths, both Jesus' unique glory and how we should respond to him and reflect him. First, let's, let's look more deeply at Jesus' unique glory. The unique glory of Jesus is that he is fully God and fully human in one person. <clears throat> and this passage in John 1 is one of the clearest passages in the Bible that tells us this truth. John starts with God in verse 1 when he says this, echoing the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In the beginning. <clears throat> but he continues differently than Genesis to tell us more about the God who created all things. John goes on, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have this Word who is somehow distinct from God because he was with God, and yet who mysteriously already was at the same time God himself because he was God. So there seems to be to somehow distinct relationships within the one God. And the Christian doctrine of the Trinity arises from texts like this. That's a much bigger lesson for another day. Um, But in this passage, in Greek, this word for word is the word logos. And that was a very loaded philosophical term in in Jesus' day. Uh, Logos was used by philosophers of that day to refer to the principle of reason that gave order to the universe. The logos is the very wisdom of God, the very truth of God, the very reason of God that somehow just is the fullness of God himself at work uh, to create the world. Now in John's day, it was not at all unusual to claim that there was a divine logos that, that gave order to the world. Many Jewish and Greek thinkers of that day would have agreed. 
But John turns their world upside down with what he says in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, the word, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. That is mind-blowing. The two most radically opposite things that there are, creator and creation, are gloriously combined into one person. It's as if God asks, how great is your idea of God? How much glory do you think God has? However big your ideas about God are, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Behold the word made flesh and dwelling among us. Insert the exploding mind emoji here, right? I, that's what's happening. Now, now why, is this so, why is this so mind-blowing? Well, think of it this way. The heroes that we imagine in, in our myths and that we portray in our superhero movies are actually puny nothings compared to the creator of all. The gods and the, super, the superhuman heroes we imagine are just bigger, enhanced versions of ourselves. Very powerful, but still very limited. And they're almost nothing, almost nothing at all compared to the creator who creates all things out of nothing, who sustains all that exists by the word of his power and who raises the dead to life. Compared to the creator, the incredible Hulk was right when he said about Loki that he's a puny God. (laughs) Compared to the word, compared to the logos who is the creator, Zeus and Athena and Odin and Thor and Thanos and Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman and even Superman are all like specks of dust compared to the whole universe. And that's why it is the most impossibly mind-blowing thing ever to say the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. The more you understand how truly big and beyond us is the unlimited creator of all, the more you will marvel at the God-man more than anything else in all the world. The glory of the God-man is the glory of the word made flesh. The ultimate opposites of God and man combined into one person. But that's not the only uh, set of opposites, not the only combination of opposites that we find in this passage. John unpacks three other paradoxes in this passage to show us that there are opposites combined in Jesus that bestow eternal blessings on us. One of them is in verse 12. Uh, He says there that people who receive and trust Jesus as the God-man to save them from the darkness of sin become children of God. That implies that Jesus is, is both our creator and our brother. He is God as the creator, but because he's a human being uh, among us as a human, he is also our brother, uh, a member of of the family of God, uh, humanly speaking as well. He is creator and brother. Another paradox here is in verses 14 and 17. Jesus is full of grace and truth, so much so that verse 17 can say that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is full of grace and truth. A fourth is is in verse 18. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. John writes, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's the word, he has made him known, visible and invisible. Now, how are we supposed to respond to all of this glory? 
how are we supposed to respond to this mysterious, paradoxical glory of God and man combined in Jesus? There are two responses, I think, that are essential for us. The first response is this. We're supposed to believe in him with wonder. For centuries, Christians have reveled in meditating on the incarnation, drawing out its astonishing meaning with the glory of the God-man. Listen to the wonder that's expressed in these examples as they show and tell us about these opposites combined in him. The poet John Donne, addressing Mary in his poem, Annunciation, says this, that all, which always is all everywhere, which cannot sin, yet all sins must bear, which cannot die, yet cannot choose but die, Lo, faithful virgin, yield himself to lie in prison in thy womb. Thou hast light in dark, and shutst in little room, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. The famous Bishop Augustine in the fifth century wrote this, the one who holds the world in being was lying in a manger. He was simultaneously speechless infant and word. The heavens cannot contain him, but a woman carried him in her bosom. She was ruling our ruler, carrying the one in whom we are, suckling our bread. Omnipotence was ruling the mother on whom infancy was depending. And in a famous Christmas sermon, Pope Leo the Great in the fifth century wrote this, that when God and humanity combine in Jesus, majesty takes up humility. Strength takes up weakness. Eternity takes up mortality. To pay the debt of our condition, his invincible nature pours forth into a vulnerable one. But not everyone finds it so easy to believe in the glory of the God-man. Can we really believe all this and be rational without leaving our brains behind? Skeptics have often rejected the very possibility of the incarnation claiming that it's simply a contradiction to say that these opposites of God and man can be combined into one person. But a paradox is not the same thing as a contradiction. The Bible and the Christian faith do not claim that God is also not God or that humanity is also not humanity, right? That would be a contradiction. Christianity claims that the eternal divine son of God added to himself a human nature so that he is fully God and fully man combined in one person. Now, just exactly how God and humanity are combined in Jesus is not clear at all. It is a paradox because we don't and probably can't come up with a simple, single, clear idea about how this works. But we're not abandoning logic and reason when we accept this paradox because we readily accept paradoxes in other areas of life too when we have good reason to do so. Perhaps the most famous example here is the nature of light itself. Scientists can do some experiments that show that light behaves like a continuous wave, but they can do other experiments that show that light acts like a bunch of separate little particles. And those are two really different images and models of understanding, so which is it? Is light waves or is it particles? And the answer is yes, exactly right. The answer is yes, it is somehow both at the same time. Now, we don't have a single, simple, clear idea 
about what light is that, that tells us how those opposite properties can be combined. But, but at the same time, we are right to believe that it has both of those properties because we can see them, we can measure them. Um, and the same is true uh, in the incarnation of Jesus. We can look at what we do know about Jesus from the historical accounts about him and conclude that the best, the most reasonable way to explain all of the information that we do know about Jesus is to affirm that he has both divine and human properties. But we don't have a simple, single, clear idea about how that works, how that combination happens. But we can accept the paradox because we have good reason to see that the fullness of God and humanity is found in him when we look at what we do know about him. But I also think there's still another way uh, to see that the glory of the God-man is true and reasonable to believe. When we draw out the meaning of the combination of God and man and Jesus, we can see two things. We can see that he explains our design as human beings, and he also at the same time fulfills our deepest needs and longings. We see that we have in ourselves, we have the design and the capacity for reason and truth and wisdom and power and goodness. We have these capacities in us. And at the same time, we realize that we have deep needs and longings for the perfection of these things in ourselves that we can't accomplish by ourselves at all. But Jesus as the God-man both explains us and fulfills us at the same time. Jesus is the perfect wisdom and knowledge of God, and at the same time, a human teacher who makes wisdom known in human words and a real human life that we can understand. Jesus is God's perfect example of a perfect life so that we can know what is right and good, and also a savior and a friend who transforms us so that we can do what's right and good. Jesus is God's perfect truth that reveals what is right and wrong with us, and also perfect grace that forgives and transforms to heal what is wrong and broken with us. Jesus is God's perfect power to change us, and at the same time, the most gentle human shepherd we can approach with our greatest weakness. Jesus is God's perfect holiness that calls us higher, and also the most perfect human compassion that meets us right where we are in love. In all these ways and more, Jesus the God-man reveals the source and the pattern of who we are that explains our design. And at the same time, he fulfills our deepest needs and longings. Jesus as the creator makes sense of why we have all these capacities. And Jesus as our savior gives us hope that our frustrated longings point to someone who is real, who can transform us and meet those longings. So Jesus is most worthy of our belief and trust because who he is fits and fulfills us so completely. As the writer G.K. Chesterton once said about the paradox of the incarnation, embracing this mystery makes all other things become lucid and clear. So we're called to believe in him, believe in him with wonder. But beyond that, we are also called to respond by receiving Jesus and reflecting his glory in our lives. Truly believing that Jesus is the God-man means receiving him with trust as our only Lord and Savior so that we become like him. Look in verses 12 and 13. John writes this, 
To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we believe that Jesus is God become man, and we entrust ourselves to him, then we become children of God, and therefore we grow to look more and more like him as he is at work in us. Since Jesus is both the divine word who made us in his image, and also the perfect human being, then he is the perfect image of what we were created to reflect in ourselves. This is why the Apostle Paul says that we are being transformed not only into the image of God, but more precisely into the image of the Son. We grow to reflect him as the image of both his deity and his humanity. And if we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, that means that our lives should reflect the glory of the God-man in some of the opposites that are combined in him. We are created and redeemed to be strong, and gentle. The glory of the God-man in us will look like being strong in the face of temptation and sin, being strong when contending for what is right to protect others, but also gentle in dealing with weakness. We are created and redeemed to be full of grace and truth. The glory of the God-man in us will look like proclaiming truth boldly, like contending against error and sin with persistence, but also, in equal measure, embodying grace in long-suffering patience, forsaking harsh anger and revenge in order to extend compassion and forgiveness freely. We are created and redeemed to be a church full of opposites, with righteousness and peace, with truth and beauty, with introverts and extroverts, as hard as that is to believe, with the old and the young, with the rich and the poor, with the city and the county, with thinkers and doers, with holiness and love, with fiery commitment and quiet compassion. There is a, there is a glory in Jesus that is unlike anything else in the whole universe, for in, he, in him alone do we find the God-man, the logos become human, the creator uniting himself to creation in one person. And in Jesus, we can not only see our creator, but also what we were created to be as human beings more fully and more clearly than anywhere else in all the world. And in Jesus, we also can become the means of seeing God's glory for other people as our lives reflect the glory of the God-man by combining opposite qualities in us that the world does not expect to see in the same person and in the same church. May the word made flesh our creator and brother, fill us with his glory as he transforms us more and more into his image. Let's pray. Lord, we are astonished again at the wonder of what you have done, Father, in sending your son, uh, in showing us the fullness of your glory in him. And we pray that you would lead us onward, uh, but with that sense of wonder, that day by day we would grow more and more into your likeness, into the likeness of Jesus, our creator and brother. Uh, Lord, that we would reflect your glory uh, and that other people would see in us your glory uh, in amazing ways that would lead them also to entrust their lives to you. 
Lord, help us to walk with you with complete trust, Lord, that you indeed are our only hope and savior and that you give yourself to us so willingly and freely. We thank you for that love in Jesus' name, amen.